All right, everybody, welcome back. This will be podcast number eight of the Recovery Lab podcast series. Again, my name is Drew Hassan, local fellow in recovery in Jackson, Mississippi. To give you a little brief history of things, so, or what I, my general opening spiel. So feel free to comment, comment a lot. Give me constructive criticism, suggested topics, nominate people to be on the podcast. I feel like the the more we can generate some interact interactivity with people, uh, the more we can be of some benefit. If you have some helpful information relative to recovery or self-help in general, certainly feel free to comment. The typical example I give is that I saw on Facebook. This might even be a little bit outdated now, but it serves as an example that uh, the Pines was giving away Narcan free, no questions asked. Uh, if you want to support the podcast financially, I'm certainly in favor of that. You can cash at me at cash tag Daniel Hassan. Uh, just so that she hears this and knows that I'm thinking about her. Denise, the pink eyes had me down and out for two weeks. So I don't have the McCoy house mixer up and running yet, but I promise I hope to have it up and running before next week's podcast. All right, so without further ado, Zed Thompson. Zed, thank you, buddy. I appreciate you taking up your Saturday morning to do this. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. You may actually have to speak maybe 10% louder. Yep. How's that? That's good. That's good? Yeah. Okay. That'll be great. Okay. I like speaking softly. I've never okay. had to tell anybody that. Yet. Yeah. Let me scoot in just a little bit more. Okay. Yep. Zed Thompson. In 1996... A guy named George Sheldon started calling me Zed Thompson, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Do you get a whole lot of the Zed's dead baby? I used to. I <laughs> used to. That kind of that's, that's kind of that's kind of passe. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. That was until about 2005. It was Zed's dead. Now, now it's just it just sounds like a tough name, doesn't it? It does sound like a tough. <laughs> but I'm not a tough dude. I'm, I guess I'm aging myself. I mean, but literally every time I've told people. Yeah. When I'm having Zed Thompson on the podcast, I yeah yeah I can yeah. hear myself saying yeah. Zed's dead. It's, it's in there. It's ingrained in there. But yeah, my birth name is John Zachary Thompson. My professional name is Zach Thompson. But there's nothing better than hearing the hearing the name Zed. It's always kind of you can mix it up a made little me bit, happy. Yeah, yeah keep people fine. on their toes. I'm fine with that. I'm yeah, fine with bad. that. Yeah, my my nephew. My nephews and niece in the area, they all call me Uncle Zed, and, and, and I think that's just, it brings me joy. It would. It brings me joy. It's supposed to. Yeah. But, yeah. but Zach Thompson, I'm from Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, married my way to the Hines County area. Happy to be here. Well, based on the response on Facebook, Hines County's happy to have you. Hines County's happy to have me. Well, that feels good. It should there was a There was a time... Where Hines County Sheriff was happy to have you. <laughs> Sheriff was happy to have me. Yeah, but but then maybe he was like, What's this dude doing? What's this dude doing? There there were a couple of years where, where Hines County could have done without me, but right. but I came back. Well yeah. redemption is the story we're driving here. That's the, that's the story we're driving. That's the story we want to hear, right? Amen. Yeah. Well we want to hear the whole story, but particularly the redemption. Well, look, part. so uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, what's okay. your story. Yep, yep. So currently um, I'm in the field of mental health. Um, 
I've got a specialty uh, treating post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, also other conditions, depressive conditions, anxiety conditions. I got started in the addictions field uh, because I got sober. Um, right after I got sober, I um, did all the stuff that you do to become a therapist. So I quickly enrolled in a graduate program, uh, left the work I was doing. I was working in a hospital, uh, hooking up the video for laparoscopic surgery. I was in charge of all the, the video <coughs> for laparoscopic surgery at Baptist Hospital. And that was interesting. That was active. It was crazy. Um, Weird hours, huh? Well, it was 6 a.m. to probably 2.30, Well, I guess that's not too bad. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. So I left that, um, got a job at Copac, got a job at Copac's IOP clinic out on Lakeland. And my job was to stand in the bathroom with the gentlemen while they peed. So that was, that was my job, was to interact, be nice. Not look down. Well, my supervisor at the time wanted me to see direct observation. Happen. Direct observation. I had observation. I had to no watch it happen. No with, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to watch it happen. But uh, I got used to it pretty quickly. It wasn't it wasn't too bad. And then from there I got um, invited to do an internship at Copac. And then invited to be a counselor in training, I think, until I finished my master's. And then when I finished my master's, I, I came on board as a, as a therapist and worked there until, until it closed. I was one of the last people to walk out of COPAC. Well, ha, how long have you been a, a bona fide therapist? Bona fide therapist, uh, not long, five years. Well, that's not, bona, that's not no time. Bonafide therapist, 2000, I say I became bonafide in 2015, 2016. Bonafide. Has it done for you what you thought it was going to do? Oh, it, Has it fulfilled you the oh, way you thought? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's greatly surpassed the image of what I thought this was going to look like. Where did the seed come from that grew into? Easy, easy answer. I went to AA and experienced what, what I now understand as complete and total empathy. I read this definition of grace a few years ago. This guy, David Risho, neat author. Johnny Evans loves, loves David Risho. There's a David Risho section in Lemuria right by the Robert Johnson section and the James Hollis under the Jungian, yes. uh, in the Jungian area. Uh, David Risho very succinctly defined grace as the combination of compassion and forgiveness. So I didn't know that that... Let me interrupt you real Please. Quick. So, because Please. my uh, mother and aunt have made a special request for this, can you spell reshow? R-I-C-H-O. 
David. Lord willing, in the creek don't rise. Okay. Okay. Uh, I will post links mm. for any books that are brought Ooh, up. Let's do that. Let's do that. So yeah. you have a specific book written by Mr. Rishu. Yeah. Let's shadow dance. Shadow dance. David Rishu. Uh, it takes you through Carl Jung's shadow work. Carl Jung's... And I guess I should say, even uh, though I'll probably post Amazon links, you should go, go to buy Lemuria. your book. Yeah, Lemuria. don't 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 buy Amazon. Go go to Lemuria. It's a beautiful store. Uh, he's got everything. He's got everything. And I'll try to mention things that I know that he has. I'll try to be there we go. selective. Because that's a special place. I was there yesterday. Um, so what... Okay, so I... I went to AA and... I experienced grace, the combination of compassion and forgiveness. That's what I experienced. It gobsmacked me. They would say that in England, I think. I was I was waylaid. I didn't know what it was, and and then I continued to experience that. I received compassion and forgiveness every time I went that was the only place I was receiving it <laughs> right but but I kept it kept happening and it kept happening and then fast forward six eight months when I finally could string a sentence together um I had this whether it was real or not I had this feeling that I was part of this so I was being helped I was part of this pulse, if you will. I was being helped, and the things I said may or may not have helped others. And there was this feeling that I may or may not be helping others based on this interactive, fluid thing that happens in AA and other, other tight-knit spiritual groups. Uh, something else takes over. Um, and I felt like I was a part of that. So I felt like I was helping others again, whether I was or not at the time, it's not important for this question, but I felt like I was, and, and that was the best. That was the second best feeling I'd ever had. The first best feeling. A I'd sense had. of purpose. A sense of purpose. Yeah. A sense of belonging. A sense of belonging that could be carried on, that could be passed on, that could be handed, freely given. So I, I chased it and, and I, and the only thing I could find that looked like that, the only construct, if you will, that looked like that out here in the world was, 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 was a therapist. Um, there had been a time in my life when I was probably in my mid twenties, I, I was an English and philosophy major. So I studied literature and philosophy at Ole Miss and. I've always loved to read. I've always been a reader. Ever since I was a little kid. Um, so I've always loved stories and I've always loved, you know, been fascinated by the stories we tell and the life lives we live. So there was a time in my mid twenties where I was, where I thought I wanted to go back and, and be a therapist, but I was I was I was drinking a lot. <laughs> right? Drinking a lot. So um, didn't do it. So to answer the question that you asked about three minutes ago, right? Maybe even longer. Uh, yeah, I felt something 
that I inherently knew needed to be passed on. Well, that is the mandate for us in recovery. Absolutely. To freely give what has been given. What was yep. freely given. Yep. Yep. So you decide to go and become a therapist. Yep. And yep. by all accounts, it has worked out well for you. I, I, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's the greatest, aside from having children and, you know, being a member of, 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 a fam- of families, two wonderful families, the family I married into and the family I was born into, aside from all that stuff, yeah, it's the, I mean, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's the best feeling in the world, the most purposeful, meaningful thing I've ever, I've ever been a part of. Yeah. So, <clears throat> because people obviously weren't privy to what we chatted about before I turned the microphone on, which okay. I do need to look and make sure it is working right. All good. We're good. So, uh, I asked Zed what he did, and he said that he one of the things he led with was that you have that you're involved in a team. Yes. That uh, has an IOP. Yes. Intensive outpatient. Intensive outpatient program for post-traumatic stress disorder and codependency. All right, I have lots of. Oh I'm gosh. Super curious about okay. this. Okay. So. Tell us about the intersectionality. Well, let me back up. I assume because you name, you specifically state, I have an IOP that treats PTSD and codependency, Yeah. that the PTSD sufferer mm. will suffer outside mm. of the realm of just addiction. Yes. So tell people about that. I think this is curious. I'm curious about this. Ooh, um, well, post post traumatic stress disorder is the giant. Uh, codependency is the sleeping giant. Believe me, I'm getting the codependency because I have some thoughts about this myself. Uh, ask me again about post traumatic stress disorder. Ask me, ask me again. Okay. So I typically hear of IOPs as being we're going to treat, uh, you know bonafide addiction to a substance. Yes, uh, yes. Process disorders yes. like eating disorders or yes. gambling. Yes, Why is there a need for a PTSD IOP? Because it is everywhere. Everywhere. One of the first places I noticed it, and this is looking back. I noticed it when it was happening, but looking back, I was like, oh my gosh, of course. Uh, for example, I, I, I came from working in a surgical environment. So I worked in surgery at Baptist Hospital before I became a therapist. And I would bet, if I were a betting man, that most nurses working in that surgical environment would meet criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. I would bet that most emergency room practitioners meet criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't know how you could not. I would bet that most, most, I hate to pigeonhole, but I read a statistic one time, it was like three, close to four out of five women with uh, a substance use disorder have co-occurring post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, women are certainly treated... uh 
I mean, I recognize that there is a difference between Susie Jones, and I'm making that name up. Uh, if there's a Susie Jones listening, I apologize. So I recognize that there's a difference between Susie Jones, who lives in 39110 and drives a Range Rover and gets hemmed up with her kid's Adderall. Uh, I recognize the difference between that and the people that I uh, engaged with in intravenous drug use sure. that hole up in yes. the MZ USA or yeah. the motel. Sure. sure. You know, that environment in and of itself. So women in that yeah. environment are much more treated like sure. chattel. Okay. Uh, okay. Property. Okay. Uh, tangible good with which to uh, a lot of times generate income or okay. more awful things than the listener can certainly just imagine all on their own. Uh, is that the kind of comorbidity you're talking about? I'm, just, I'm 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 speaking, I'm speaking broadly here. Addiction, I, I don't want to say that addiction is always trauma, but but addiction is is damn near always, always trauma. And we're good at treating addiction. Is it that? Well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, Did think, the PTSD lead to the addiction, or was the PTSD yeah. incurred? Whilst in addiction, I choose to step away from that question and just see them as coexistent conditions. And I'm not as concerned with which came first as I am ensuring that they're both treated. Well, I think this is why I'm finding this so fascinating is the thing that could lead to PTSD for Bob will not lead to PTSD for Tom because... Maybe Tom is more stoic or he mm. just is a little more anesthetized perhaps to something. So how do you how does the person realize I think I need treatment for PTSD? Because my friend Barbara went through this and she doesn't seem to suffer. This is this is when we have to look at significant relationships. This is when we look at family members. This is here's the codependent piece. I mean the family members are suffering. The family members often step up. The family member, or if a person's in a program for addiction, for whatever, and we, we, what's the word I'm looking for? We bring the substance use disorder into remission, and then here comes, here come the underlying symptoms. Here come the other symptoms. That's one way to do it. Or we hear from the family members. The, the, the individual is in, it can be an unreliable narrator for a significant amount of time. So we, we rely on the families to, to provide uh, oh, yeah. extra information, well, collateral information. are yeah. unreliable reporters. But I, sure. I, I mean, I appreciate the question. Uh, sometimes we get, sometimes the individual knows full well that, that they are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, that they're being narcissistically abused by a spouse or that they've, been in combat or they've lived in, you know, the <coughs> basement of, of abandoned hotels in, you know, trap houses or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes we get the information from the individual. Sometimes we, we get it as collateral information from the family. Sometimes um, it's just uncovered what as is, part of the assessment process. What is the, 
where does your business come from? Do, do you get referrals, referrals out of referrals. the addiction setting yeah. or from yeah. therapists who yeah. say, look, you, you could maybe benefit from both. Both uh, the residential facilities, uh, some of the substance-related IOP facilities will refer. You know, after yeah. the the after the the individual completes an IOP program, and they're ready to particularly or specifically work on the trauma. Yeah, you know, we've all heard that uh, when you sober up a horse thief, you've got a sober sober horse, horse thief. thief. Yeah. I guess the same thing is true of somebody with PTSD. I mean, you sober them up, their trauma hadn't gone anywhere. No, no, the trauma lives in the body, and that's and and that's that's what you treat. The, so, for the for the man or woman that's out there mm-hmm. who has, um, let's say their life is not going swimmingly, okay, and they're listening to this podcast and they wonder. I wonder if I have PTSD. What are some of the commonalities amongst people with it? Mm. What are some things that might lead a person appropriately to consider, I wonder if I've got this? Well, there's a couple things to look at. Uh, nightmares, frequent nightmares. That's my my flags go up. My, red, my stomach is yes. at attention when I hear that. Uh, an exaggerated startle response. Um, Substance abuse. <laughs> um, dissociative states. Uh, people cowering. People, people with stories or reporting or experiencing, you know, feelings that they they're leaving their body or they're observing their own lives. Um, also, people who, 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 who are so enmeshed, obsessed, involved in someone else's stuff. Like that's that 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 can be a signal. What are you avoiding about yourself? Now now invariably we we have to bring these experiences into a formal assessment process. But yeah, if you're experiencing frequent nightmares, if 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 there's a sound across the room and you jump, um, if you are uh, if you have no idea why you feel the way that you do, right? If you have no idea why you're waking up in the middle of the night sweating, uh, if you have, if you're baffled by recurring nightmare themes that don't seem to correspond to your memories, uh, that's that's something to look at because because the brain takes trauma and tries to protect you from it. It's got a it's got a pretty important job. Compartmentalization. Yeah, puts it over response. here. Puts it over here and says, nope, 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 nope. We're not doing that. We're so, not doing that. Uh, Jordan, I think it's Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. says that if you're thinking about something that happened greater than eighteen months ago, mm. and it's causing you any response today, okay, then. And I don't, I can't quote him verbatim, but it's something like you're living in the past, you're having some sort of trauma response. Do you think there's any truth to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I thought to myself, because <clears throat> there are some things in my past that are greater than 18 months old that I still don't like to think about. Sure. And I wonder, 
Can you have a, a miniature PTSD? Well, I mean, there's this, you know, people talk about lowercase t trauma and uppercase t trauma. I, I mean, I think that kind of, I don't, I don't like to do that because it, it can invalidate someone's heightened experience because, because trauma is, is a, a subjective experience. I'm not going to say trauma is trauma is trauma the way addiction is addiction is addiction. It's, I mean, you, you get in there and, and you invariably encounter this, this gray area, but I'm not going to sit somebody down and sit two people down and say, you've got lowercase t trauma and you've got uppercase t trauma. I've done that before and I don't want to ever do that again because I don't want anyone to feel like their suffering is unnecessary, uh. irrelevant, or less than immaterial. Yeah, I read this quote one time, and I and I, I think about it quite a bit. That that suffering is not a competition, and so when you've got people who are suffering, who are experiencing um, tremendous pain, uh, they're they're defensive about it. They they've worked hard to adapt to it. They 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 protect it, and it's not uncommon for suffering to become a competition so 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 that's going to happen anyway and i don't want to contribute to it even more i want to bring um a sense of of compassion a sense of grace back to that sense of grace i want to i want to begin to bring that sense of grace to to a setting and i certainly don't want to 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 tell you that your trauma is less than his trauma or her trauma i want to say yes there there is indeed trauma and 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 me uh i i have a i have a protocol in my in my private practice where i that i that i try to follow um integrative protocol to treat it and then the team i'm a part of uh we we also have an integrative protocol to treat the, the the trauma so that's what i want people people to know not that your trauma is less than hers that yes we can help Yes, I can. I help. think I need to re- yeah. remind myself of that because suffering is suffering. Suffering is suffering. Yeah, suffering is. What What is the name of your your team? Or... Oh gosh, I love them so much. Uh, Lighthouse Healing Center is our uh, IOP. And uh, if people wanted to call them, they would Google it or it's on the Facebook. I, yeah, or... I, th- I think it's Lighthouse Healing Center MS. Mississippi. I, I know it's on Facebook, Lighthouse Healing Center. It's on Instagram. I'm going to try to like and follow and all yeah, this. Yeah, please, so. please do. We're new. I mean, we just opened, um, and we are, you know, we would we would love to love to help in any way. Well, look, so when yep. Susie, Jones Susie Jones summons up her courage and she yeah. enters into yeah. the PTSD yeah. <clears throat> IOP, mm-hmm. what will you be happy that Susie Jones has learned or adopted into her life, and you would think, okay, she's well on her way to being out there on her own I want, without the, yes. the strict confines of IOP. Mm, I want Susie Jones... I would bet that Susie Jones has a difficult relationship with her body. I would bet if, if Susie Jones comes in with... Let's, okay, let's make this a big deal, right? Let's be hyperbolic. Let's okay. say Susie Jones has, you know, just the worst trauma you can think of. Awful husband. Yeah, all that Absent stuff. father, yeah. alcoholic yep, yep, yep. mother. Let's say she was abused as a child. Let's say she, she has been in system after system of abuse. 
marrying into a, you know, a, a, a relationship with narcissistic and physical abuse. Let's say Susie Jones has an eating disorder because of this. Let's say that there are myriad coexisting conditions, substance use disorder, eating disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression. Let's say this is the worst case scenario. I'm going to bet everything I got that Susie Jones has an unfortunate relationship with her body or probably no relationship with her body. And one You of say that like it I think the way you say that it means more to you than it's meaning to me. Let what, me What yeah. is an un Well, okay, so so let me go back to to the way I am understanding trauma these days. Um my knowledge of this is that for years and years and years and years and years, post-traumatic stress disorder was a psychological condition. The more we're learning about post-traumatic stress disorder, it is a body condition. It is a condition of the nervous system. And the nervous system is connected to the brain, which is connected to the mind, which is connected to the spirit, which is connected to psyche, which is you know as deep as it gets, but it's also connected to the body. The nervous system is the body. Post-traumatic stress disorder is a condition of the body. So I want to help her. I want to help Susie Jones create and maintain a good relationship with her body. I want that to be part of the program. The other part of the program is I want Susie Jones to be able to interact effectively in relationship with others. Because life, as we know it, is a series of relationships. You will not avoid if you're living a life, you will not avoid relationships. Sure. Yep. So I want Susie Jones to create and maintain a good relationship with her body. And I want Susie Jones to have as good a relational capacity as she can. I want to bring those two things together. Body relationships. There's an old quote in, uh, in the Jungian. I practice from a Jungian uh, perspective, Carl Jung, Swiss psychiatrist, uh, fascinated by his his work. Fascinated by his work. I read. I mean, that's 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 where I spend. That's your guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Jungians, especially Jung, was tough. He was a cool dude, but I don't know if you ever cracked open a book by Carl Jung. <laughs> it's tough. No. It's tough. I've done it a bunch of times, and I and I'm glad I did it. But but I appreciate the work that's been done around it. There's this. Really important sentence I had encountered when I was studying trauma from an analytical perspective, and analytical psychology is Jungian uh, therapy, basically. So, so when you study analysis, you study the analytical practitioners and thinkers. So I was looking at trauma from an analytical perspective, and I and I saw this sentence, and I'll paraphrase it, but it 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 just it's it's staggering that that what has been broken in relationship can only be healed in relationship. So that, that speaks to the power of something like group therapy, but it also speaks to the power of a relationship with one's body, a relationship to one's spirit, a relationship to one's psyche. Um, so I want to help with interpersonal relationships, and I want to help with the relationship that one has with body, soul, spirit, psyche. All that stuff. So yep. it's a week after Susie has been discharged. Let's go. She got her medallion and things are looking up. And she is confronted with some <clears throat> life stressor. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, she mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. felt undervalued <clears throat> at home. 
uh, I don't know. Something happened. Yep. If how does Susie deal with it in a way that makes you as a practitioner pleased? Well, I would hope that during a, for example, approximately ten weeks of intensive outpatient programming, I would hope that during that time, um, Susie Jones has changed significantly from from the the vascular vascular level all the way up to the spiritual level i would hope that she has changed tremendously i would hope that as we hear in aa that Susie jones will intuitively know how to handle the things that used to baffle baffle her yeah 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 i would hope that upon interacting with that stressful triggering thing that Susie Jones would be able to stop come back to the breath and then if she has to do that five times in a row somewhere in that process Susie Jones will have intuitively known how to handle something that that used to baffle her and maybe it's you know a page out of the out of the the boundary setting codependent part of the program where she gets to tell the truth, and she gets to, uh, you know, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you there, and you can't talk to me that way. Or Susie Jones will have the strength to walk out the door gently. Um, Susie Jones will intuitively know how to handle the the things that she used to bow down to, or the things that used to um, kill her. Yeah, it's cause an adverse re- her to sure. respond adversely. Sure, sure. It's such a fascinating topic. I mean, I really can yeah. talk about this kind of stuff all the time. I can talk about it all. You know, the yeah. human behavior is yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. imminently interesting. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I went. I li- went to treatment this last time. It was effective mm-hmm. and uh, lived in an Oxford house in Hattiesburg. Mm-hmm. And then I get back to Jackson, and I kind of had my sea legs about me when I got back to Jackson Good. and I realized that there I would ride by a seedy hotel mm-hmm. or I would see somebody mm-hmm. and I had not been exposed to that stimuli when I lived in Hattiesburg because you know as I call it you know Jackson is my epicenter of poor choices and I think there is some... Raymond, benefit. Mississippi was mine. Right, there you go. And, <laughs> and I think Oxford. there's some benefit to removing oneself yeah. from yeah. their epicenter. Sure, sure, uh, sure. So I get back to Jackson, and I, it, it would trigger a feeling that I had not yet had to deal with. Mm. And I could sense, uh, fortunately, brief, poor response to that. Sure. Uh you know, and in uh, being flooded with oh, yeah. uh, thoughts of worthlessness oh, yeah. and futility, yeah. a general sense of dread and yeah. hopelessness. Why would you bother getting sober? Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah. It's just a matter of time. <clears throat> You're never gonna get over it. Blah blah blah. And so I realized that there was some utility mm. in employing the thought process I learned from a therapist long ago, because she would always ask me, you know, what happened a couple days before? Mm. You know, I'd go into her office and I'd be belly aching about something. Mm -hmm. What happened? Let's talk about what happened the week before. 
Let's talk about what happened a few days before. And I realized that there is this sometimes, at least in my experience, delayed response between the stimulus sure. and then when it has its eventual reaction. Sure. And it's so interesting that the first thing you said was, I would hope Susie would take a step back. Yeah. And there is yeah. always... Yeah. Like, I've got my worst problem today, at least, manifests itself as having a temper. Mm. And so I have tried to uh, build on, I've been listening to this Daily Stoic podcast, which I love and advocate for wholly. And the guy says, look, you know, I don't remember who it is, Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius, you know, says, uh, if we can grow the space between stimulus and response, we will have done ourselves a service. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. And it also well, supports what I have become to believe. Everybody from Viktor Frankl's book yes. to that, everybody from Viktor Frankl to to the, to the Buddha. I mean, it, it that that what you just talked about is is so. It's such a spiritual truth. I don't even, I mean, it's such a spiritual truth. The capacity to, for me, it's come back to the breath. Stay with, uh, my. I, I try to stay with the breath as much as I can. I have a daily meditation practice. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh is one, one of my... I was just sitting here thinking yeah, about him. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that, that, that was, that guy just... Uh, he he influenced me as much as Carl Jung did, as much as as well, much as anybody did. So 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 the spiritual, it's so simple. It's so simple. Coming back to the breath is a, is a spiritual practice. It's a spiritual experience, and it allows that thing, that stimulus, to to do what it what it needs to do. I want to let it do what it needs to do. I don't want to. I'm not supposed to put my hands on that. Not be reactionary. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to give whatever it is space to do what it's supposed to do because I'm, I'm not supposed to mess with it. The trouble arises from me messing with it. Right. Me trying to control anything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So do y'all do a lot? Of, I mean, I have had both. CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, mm-hmm. which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is how one would generally go about changing their worldview sure. a little bit. Sure. What relationship do you have with your thoughts? What relationship do you have with beliefs? What I, relationship? Yeah. I have also yeah. been exposed to DBT. I think Sure. I'm, Dialectical dialectic, behavioral therapy. The uh, rational mind and the wise mind. Wise mind. Yeah. And, sure. Sure. Uh, which do you think, either, not, neither, both, is more effective? Oh, gosh. Well, I think in a more general, from a more general perspective, cognitive behavioral therapy is very, very effective. Specifically, dialectical behavioral therapy was designed to treat borderline personality disorder. So, I, so DBT is kind of, it's a... It's a more specific treatment where CBT is just, I mean, you can do that with anybody. And the CBT is, I go and I talk to my therapist and he or she tells me, 
maybe I'm thinking about this particular thing sure. in the wrong way. Sure, let's change the way you think about this. And, let's change the way you behave around this. And DBT is more a, a, an assessment of an acute thing? Yeah, well, yeah, the DBT is like, let's let's break out the 12 weeks of this workbook <laughs> and let's you. and let's let's make your your life now consists of dbt training it is it is a very dedicated long-term process okay to treat originally designed to treat the borderline personality disorder which for people that don't know including myself how would we define that oh isn't that a constellation of bad yeah. behaviors it's 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 a uh, it's a big it's a big diagnosis. Um, you know, the, the, the original, uh, the borderline, the original borderline from the analytic, analytical perspective was uh, the pendulum goes between neurosis and psychosis. So whichever way the pendulum's going, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're Is it there. true that more women... Have, have borderline personality yeah, disorder. Yeah, there's stuff about that. Yeah, and then men would have narcissistic or antisocial or antisocial. I mean, there it, it's it's possible to for there to be a man with borderline personality disorder. Sure. I've seen a few, uh, but that's a um, that's that's a that condition um, is. It takes a it takes a long time to treat that. Is it's that powerful because the, the sufferer has some sort of corrupted view of it's just, themselves? It's, yeah, it's just a, from from the longest toenail to the tallest hair on the head. It's just it's a struggle. Yeah, it's a struggle. But do people recover from? It? Absolutely. And there's hope for it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh! Right. Yes, yes. I, I was listening to, to the negative. new. I was listening to the new Bjork album this this morning. We'll plug that too. Uh, the new Bjork albums, yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, she talks about hope is a muscle. Hope is a muscle. So we practice, we strengthen the muscle. So there is hope there for is the hope. springs for, for, for all of us. For all of us. So practice your hope muscle. Uh, work your hope muscle. Well, let's, uh, yeah. The other fascinating thing okay. that you have said is that you have. A genuine IOP system for people with codependence issues. Absolutely. T- tell me about that. Yeah, we well, we're gonna put them through the same thing that we put the post the, the the clients will go through the same program because what if a what person treats, is out there suffering and they think I wonder if that's my problem. Describe the typical oh, codependent. Oh God! Oh, I wish Carver was here. I wish Carver was here. Carver. I wish you were here with me right now because I said a few weeks ago. I can't say where I said it, but I said I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars if you can define codependency. Um, this is the most for me at least. It's the most slippery thing in the world. But here's the truth about codependency: you know it when when you're when it's happening. If you're well. You know it when it's happening. And if you're well, you know it when it's around This is you. like the definition of pornography. <laughs> I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah, it's, I mean, that is one of the more mystifying things I have ever encountered. And, that, and that's why I wanted to be, that's why I want to help with it, is because it is, oh, I, I called it, I just kind of made that up earlier when I said it's the sleeping giant. Uh, it is... 
you know, for, for me personally, and just what I've observed and treated, it is just the, oh, it's just unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. If, if one side of the coin is codependence, okay. is the other side narcissism? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. No, I don't. I, I don't want to go that complicated. Mm-hmm. One side of the coin is codependency, and the other. Let's just say the other side of the coin is is the ability to be peaceful. I don't. I don't because I because I don't know. I, I I like to think that on one side of the coin are are all of my. Uh, unfortunate qualities, but I can flip that coin, and 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 it and it lands on the other side. And on that other side is is me, just I've having worked hard on myself, and and practice, 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 practice self care. And the other side of that coin is just me knowing what to do about everything on the other side of that coin. Intuitively knowing yeah, how to handle yeah, situations. Yeah. Because if I don't want narcissism to be on the other side of the coin, um, well, I was thinking, and I mean, honest, look, believe me, I'm certainly welcome to you saying no. I don't know if that's true, but I was sitting here thinking, like you know, when you try to get sober yourself, that's probably not going to work out well if you don't have some help. That's if right. you tried to remedy your codependence on your own, you're probably going to end up being equally flawed, but just in a more narcissistic way. Okay. As opposed to okay. render, rendering yourself available for all forms of abuse by people around you. There you go. Uh, what Describe for us what someone who suffers from... Give us some general characteristics. What are the things that somebody says on your couch and you think, oh, I think you might have... Uh, the, uh, pre- a preoccupation with someone else's behaviors. A preoccupation bordering on obsession with someone else's behaviors. Uh, micromanaging someone else's life. Uh, the, your feeling of joy inextricably connected to someone else's feeling of joy. Your feeling of neurosis or anxiety of depression inextricably connected to some to a loved one's um, feelings of whatever. Mimicking their feelings. Feeling their feelings. Feeling for someone else. Do you think this is promoted by social media use? Oh my God. I I think it has to, yeah, of course. I've been, uh, so I, you know, it should come as no surprise that I like listening to podcast. Sure, me too. So, um, uh, Abigail Schreier, I think is how you say her name, okay. was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and she was talking about the uh, prevalence of uh, self-harm mm. amongst young girls. Mm. Okay. Now, Denise Marsters and I briefly yeah. spoke okay. about this, and yeah, she said, yeah. you know, that she had seen a fairly alarming increase in the rates of that. Mm. And I wonder if, because I've experienced this on a, on a, on a much smaller scale. So the very first post I put on Facebook that I was starting this podcast had in my estimation, exceptionally favorable response. Yes. 
And I can remember looking at the number of likes and getting a sense of mm. uh, self-worth from it. Sure. And sure. I, I don't know yeah. that I would have been in tune with that had I not listened to Abigail Schreier, who has a book that I can't think of the name, but I promise you ain't Brandy, I'll put it on, I'll link it at the bottom. I'm writing it on my list here. Um, I, I would not have been in tune with that had I not listened to her on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about children and not just very younger kids, but especially women who through Instagram have been conditioned to evaluate their self-worth mm, by how yeah, many likes yeah, and retweets yeah, and shares. And, 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 and I'm afraid that that's going to be this <clears throat> evolving nuanced sect of codependency that's, that's directly related to, you know, the, this massive emergence, this quick emergence of social, of social media. Yeah. Yeah. That that's going to be, or it is, and will continue to be, just a very nuanced. With such a double-edged yeah. sword, because yeah. here I am shit-talking yeah. uh, social media, and after you leave, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're I'm going to post this on, on social media. Yeah, I think we just got to evolve with it. Mm, it's tough. It's it tough. really is. That's uh, tough. I know this is kind of getting maybe a touch far afield, but for anybody that's curious about it, and certainly you, do you know who Jerome or Jaron Lanier is? No. All right. Jaron Lanier is sing- singularly the most interesting person, I think, alive. Oh, wow. I mean, he's as interesting as Elon Musk is. Okay. So he's generally known as the godfather of virtual reality. Okay. He is a computer scientist. And he has lots of speeches that he has given. You can watch them on YouTube. So that's J-A-R-O-N, Lanier, that would look like Lene, or in French, A-L-A-N-I-E-R. Okay. Now, if you can get beyond how the dude looks, because he's, he's odd. Okay. He's a great big old fat person with crazy dreadlocks. He's white, and he plays ancient musical instruments, but the man is endlessly interesting. Wow. Endlessly wow. interesting. And he talks about the damage that social media has done mm-hmm. and how it has corrupted yeah. society. Yeah. Sure. And he wrote a book, his most famous book, he's written a bunch, but his most famous one was, you know, why you should delete your Facebook account or something like that. Mm. But to listen to him tell the history behind how social media grew and developed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is is endlessly interesting. Yeah. And I can only imagine that once a person has been conditioned to value themselves yes. uh, directly proportional yes. to the yes. external value they're receiving yes. Yes. is going to work to their detriment. Yes, yes. 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 <laughs> I mean, I don't. Look, I love nothing more than when somebody agrees with me. I mean that that's that just sounds awful, but true. Capital T, true. Yeah, that's Capital what's happening. T. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. What do you think are ways that a, that Susie? She's just graduated Susie, yeah. from Lighthouse Healing, and she's feeling good about herself. 
Well, I don't know of any PTSD a meetings or codependence yeah, that's, meetings. I mean, see, there you go. There, that's how, how does somebody yeah. continue their well, growth? I, how do they continue? I, I think we, as a recovery community, and here's when I speak to the recovery community, uh, we we should look deeper into uh, coda, coda, codependence, anonymous. I think a lot of people with post-traumatic stress disorder, especially family-related. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder benefit from adult children of alcoholics. I think ACA is a good group for people uh, who, okay, Susie, if, when you graduate from, from, from the program, give ACA a try. Whether or not you had... Are there ACA meetings? Absolutely, right absolutely, everywhere. Somebody could find that information on somebody, Google. Somebody could find that information on Google. A, adult children of alcoholics meetings in... Jackson, Mississippi, or in the Jackson, Mississippi area. That's a powerful program. That, I've heard the argument that all people in AA should also go to Al-Anon. Yeah, yeah, and, and if Al-Anon doesn't work for you, all people in AA should go to ACA. Yeah. Uh, but, but especially those for whom uh, childhood trauma, adolescent trauma, adult trauma was, was, was a part of your experience. Give ACA a try alongside AA, and I think you'll meet some common spirits. As you trudge the road of happy destiny. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, that's where I would direct someone. But but I, I also think that, that CODA, Codependent Anonymous, would be a great, I think, I think we should start one. And if there's if there's already one, I'm so sorry that I'm unaware of it and can't promote it but uh yeah that's where i would implore Susie jones as part i would make i would refer to those resources during the program uh so that she would know precisely where to go poor Susie. all right unless you're getting tired i'm not getting tired okay let's go this is a little bit of a different topic let's hopping jumping do it. horses do it so I, I have been to Bridge to Recovery's IOP okay. for substance abuse. Awesome. And whilst there, yep. uh, the first time I've really uh, been in any kind of group setting mm-hmm. where people had as their primary dysfunction of eating disorder. Mm. All right. Mm. If people with eating disorders or sex addictions Mm. can be taught how to do those things in a healthy way without them leading to problematic behaviors. Why don't mental health professionals help somebody have a glass of wine at night? Oh, God. I mean, I can intuit why. Okay. And I know why okay. I can't have a glass of wine at night. Yeah. But why is there no... Because a person could benefit from the relaxing effects of one glass of wine at night. Ooh, this is when addiction becomes this anomaly. Harm reduction doesn't work for alcoholism or substance use disorder. 
It just doesn't. Because here's, I mean, here's my response. I've been to hundreds of AA meetings. I've seen thousands of people come in and out. I've never met the person who was forced to get sober, for example, went to AA, stayed in AA, experienced the joy of recovery. I've never met the person who did that. Let's say, let's say Susie. 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 She's back at it. Susie. Susie's sober. Susie's gone through these. Susie went to Bridge to Recovery and finished their program. And Susie also was referred to us at Lighthouse Healing Center. Susie went through two programs. Susie is doing well. Let's say Susie had cocaine use disorder, alcohol use disorder, opioid use disorder, uh, anorexia nervosa. Poor Susie, right? Yeah. Let's say she had borderline personality disorder too. Let's say we treated all of this. And an ingrown toenail. Ingrown toenail. (laughs) Yeah. (coughs) She had all that stuff. And Susie, um, and all the while, we're like, Susie, you know, she's practiced abstinence. Let's say Susie did all that stuff. Susie's out of treatment. Susie's going to ACA. Susie's going to AA. Susie's in recovery. So Susie's one of these people who, if she drinks, she goes crazy, for lack of a better way to put it. Because that's what happens when I drink. Yeah. When I drink, I go crazy. Uh, so I've never met a person like Susie who does all that stuff, goes to AA, spends, let's say she spends five years in AA doing everything. I've never met someone. Sponsor, don't yeah, everything, everything, everything. I've never met somebody at that five-year mark drinks. Let's say Susie chooses to drink that five years, drinks for six months. Okay, I've never met this person. It's important to reiterate that over. I've never met this person. She five-year mark. Susie drinks. She comes back six months later, walks in the room and says, "I've got great news, y'all. I've been drinking for six months." And it's amazing. Amazing. I've never met that person. I've only met the person, bless your heart, Susie, who did that, drank six months later. And, and if she comes back, she, she says, invariably, it was the worst thing that's ever happened. It was terrible. It was the worst thing that's ever happened. I, everything I experienced, I was convinced that that was the worst thing that's ever happened. But no, this was. Well, the reason I ask that, because I know somebody's listening and thinking, that Drew's up and he's trying to figure out how he can get that wine at night. <laughs> but I was thinking about the line out. So before every AA meeting. Science has one day. Science has made one day. Made one day. Has one day. Made one day. Hasn't done so yet. Done so yet. And I wondered, I wonder if it, if, because one of the main reasons I want to have a physician on here is so that I can quiz them on hmm. Is addiction rooted in mm. an architectural defect of the mind, or is it a combination of poor responses to stimulus? And why isn't there? I mean, I yes. get, <laughs> I get that, that there's a wet, there's a difference mm. between drinking and eating, and I get that there's a difference between consuming alcohol mm. and having sex. 
you know, certainly you are never, ever going to sell the argument, well, they just need to have no sex for the rest of their life. Mm. You're not going to, that's not going to be successful. And I mean, you got to eat. So I get that you have to engage in some of those behaviors and you do not have to engage in consuming, uh, uh, substances that have addictive potential. Mm -hmm. So, Mm. Like, look, when that Demi Lovato had that interview a couple years ago and said she was California sober, oh, that she smoked weed, I thought, TikTok, it's just a matter of time yeah, before the wheels come off this. That's, 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 that was a shitty thing to do, right? Uh, because, you know, we're, we're, we're up against something that we know how to treat, but we don't know why it is the way that it is, precisely. I think we know that it's connected to impulsivity. I think we know that it's... I think we know that it's a chronic relapsing brain disease. I think we know so much about it, but science has not accomplished that that pill, right? Um, My friend Billy used to say that if they came up with a it'd cure take for like it, he'd, ten of them, he'd, he'd yeah. shoot it up. Yeah, he'd abuse it. Uh, but I, I think where it gets interesting is the solution holds a lantern toward the spiritual continuity of oneself. And what I mean by that is like you go and you hear about the solution being of a spiritual nature. And once you go there, if we do it, I don't want to say right, but if we, if we turn ourselves over to that process, the why of it becomes irrelevant or that it it did for me. I think part of the solution is to become so spiritually mm, spiritually I don't I, I want to I, mean, I want a better word than healthy spiritually beneficial sound I don't I don't know just just so spiritually lived that that it doesn't even matter why it's the way that it is it just it just where do you you help your patients draw the line Mm. between the needless reflection Mm. on the impetus for the problem and the appropriate assessment of how they may respond poorly to that uh, stimulus Because there is a difference between being obsessed with why. Mm. And I think I suffered under the delusion that I needed to hammer down this why. Because neither of my parents had addiction problems. Mm. Uh, They're honest, hardworking people who always came home when they said they were coming home and always uh, did what they said they were going to do. Mm. So uh, I, I get that we may never not we may never know exactly why, but there certainly is some utility yeah. in looking at our past responses to things in the hopes that we can respond better the next time. How do you help your patients mm. tease that out? Gosh, that is <laughs> that's a that's a sixty thousand dollar question. Oh, what a good question. How do oh gosh, I just I won't 
people to experience enough spiritual health that they can be completely and totally satisfied by coming back to the breath and just being present, being here with life as it is, not as we think it should be. So how do we get them there? Oh gosh, we just, we love them. We love on them. Uh, we, we introduce them to good people. Oh gosh, we, we, we foster that spiritual connection because that spiritual connection is what makes relationships powerful. It's what makes relationships better. It's what makes us know whether or not we need to be in this relationship. And that all goes back to, for me, getting in touch with the deepest, deepest stuff. And maybe that's where the mystery of addiction lies. I don't know. But it's just, I'm, I'm a depth therapist. I'm, a, I'm an analytical th therapist. Um, Jungian psychoanal psychoanalytic person. So I'm, I'm all, you know, the rules of depth psychology is once you go deep, go deeper. Once you reach depth, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper, well, go deeper. Isn't that, uh, I, I intuit that there is a difference between I go and I, I, I meet with my therapist and I sit there and she asks some questions or he asks some questions and I talk about it. Yeah. And then uh, as opposed to Freudian psychoanalytics yeah, to, yeah. you know, you're I mean, lying on the couch. And more, tell me more about that. Tell me well, more I mean, I, I mean, I encourage all of my clients to start recording their dreams and dream analysis. I, I you know, a, a good day in the office for me, a meaningful day in the office for me is, is six out of the seven people brought their dreams in and we looked at the dreams. We analyzed the dreams. One of the groups at Lighthouse Healing Center is a dream group. And it's, it's, I mean, Carl Jung said the dream will never lie to you. And I believe that. And Bessel, Bessel van der Kolk, like the, fa well, the th premier. This is, this is pitted firmly against sometimes a flower's a flower. <laughs> so how, how, do we, how do we extract meaning from mm. this? From the dream? Yeah. Isn't it amazing that there is something that is a part of us that is always alive, always awake, always doing something. And I'm not talking about ego. Ego. I'm not talking about what I deliberately, consciously do. Because ego goes to sleep every night. And something else happens that is very mysterious, very relevant, very consistent we dream three to five times a night um what is that that that's 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 the most that's more interesting for, for me that's more interesting than why we do the things that we do like i want to dig in to that story that's taking place when ego shuts off i want to look at that information because everything i've studied everything i've read says that there's something to that and that Jung quote, the dream will never lie to you, just, I don't know. I guess after having worked with, with, with so many people in dreams and, and, and having had 
just these just pronounced, profound, revelatory experience with people just by looking at, you know, a seemingly well, dreams innocuous dream. serve some evolutionary purpose, or we wouldn't have them. Sure, sure. I mean, the, the, you know, it, I, I don't believe that we have them by accident. Yeah, and I don't believe that they're prophetic. So let's not, so let's yeah. not go there. <laughs> no, but I think, yeah, I, yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's interesting when, I mean, just that you were saying there's some parts of us that don't ever fall asleep. I believe, I don't know if there's any way to prove this, that we never really forget anything. Mm, it's all because there. Because I can have a dream. Yeah, it's all there. And like I did last night where I was in a friend of mine's house sure. that I have not yeah. set foot yeah, in exactly. and I know 20 years. And I had crystalline yeah. recall sure, sure, of sure. what the cookie jar looked like. Sure. And details that I never in a million years yeah. could have identified outside yeah. of that. Sure. So, sure. do you think that they are a way, if we can figure out, I know this is venturing off into purely subjective territory from a scientific standpoint, if we can figure out how to interpret those dreams, you're saying that we can help identify those things that we're trying to yeah. work through yeah. so, or so so I think healing the objective the purpose of healing is for the individual to obtain experience if you will a deeper understanding of who they are and so we got a couple of relevant resources we've got the ego experience which is what I'm conscious of what I deliberately what I choose to do like that's that helps us get that deeper understanding of who we are. But then we have this other source of information, and that's what it is. That's what the dream. The dream is information about who you are to be concretized with what we deliberately choose to experience to go deeper. Do healthier or healing people mm. dream differently from no. sick people? No. Well, yeah, well, maybe, maybe. Maybe, but but you know it's it's so, it's so unpredictable, it's so unpredictable. Like medicines, sure, medicines affect dreams. Uh, chemicals no, affect outside, dreams. Outside of that, uh, well, I mean there, I mean there's research about schizophrenic dreaming that is pretty pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I would I would say that there are schizophrenic dreams, for example, that are. That are that are very different. Are you talking about dreams had by people with schizophrenia? Yeah, absolutely. Or are you talking Abs- about no, yeah. There's a dreams. class of dreams. No, 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 no. For for example, dreams had by schizophrenic people are like you're cautioned to interpret those. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But 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 Susie, let's yeah, Susie. Uh, you know, I would, I would, I would work with her on her dreams. I would I would encourage Susie, Susie Jones was that yeah to be mindful of them yeah yeah to to record her dreams as a practice yeah because it's information information you know all of this stuff science what science information what's anything information right so there's there's a certain and I guess this is because I'm I'm a linear thinker sure and I like syllogisms and. Uh, you know, I, I need if A, then B. And come on, come on. So science promotes that which is provable. Mm. 
So how do we, how do we, I mean, I hate to fall back on. Come on, do it. I, I don't know that I like the argument dreams are inherently irrelevant because they're not testable because they obviously serve some purpose. Absolutely. So how, how do we not, uh, you know, take this to the extreme? I mean. I mean you got to be careful. I mean, you can't be an idiot about it. <laughs> but, but, but all of us know what it's like to practice suspension of disbelief. All well, of us know. Well, Susie comes to you, and okay. she's a few weeks into this, and you know, she had a dream the night before where she was trapped in a vending machine. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and what do okay. you tell her? The dream is not rational. Ego is rational. But Jung had this word, numinous. Numinous. That is a badass word. Numinous is not rational. One of the definitions of numinous is irrational. Not this is stupid, but it's coming from a non-rational place. It's a flawed argument. No, no, it's not. It's not. That, that, that's, that's where we want to take it. But irrational is not rational in that it's not ego. Ego is rational. Ego, A plus B equals C. Okay. Ego, linear thinking, intellectual. Ego, ego, not Inflated ego, deflated ego, just what I'm conscious of, what I, you know, ego wants things to make sense. I may need a better uh, vocabulary here. So tell me, when we, you're talking about ego in a way that I'm is talking not the Latin, cocksure. The, 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 the e e ego is Latin for I, <clears throat> me. It is how I it is how, it is view me. the world. It is me right now. I am ego. Right now. And now ego is inflated. Ego is deflated. I'm better than. Or I'm worse or than. I'm but worse ego than. is what I choose to do. But it is the do. common denominator. The consciousness. Is, consciousness. It is consciousness. only how I am perceiving the world. Consciousness. Ego is consciousness. Now the flip side of that is unconscious. And Jung had this place. The dream state. The dream state. But also psyche. Body. Emotion. What is working in the background? What is working all around, beneath, all the time, all the time. So there's some really good information in there. Really well, good information in there. So spirituality, spirit. I have, I have described the, the delayed response thing that I was talking about earlier about moving back to Jackson and seeing okay. people. Okay. I have likened it to the background processes that run in the computer. Okay. Like seeing that person. Okay. Seeing that thing, feeling that thing, just turned on this yep. background yep. program yep. that I yep. didn't even yep. know was yep. running. Yep. Yep. And That's it's unconscious. like a yep. Trojan horse. Yep. It's going to cause me problems okay. in, like I've lit a fuse. The fuse yep. might be 10 minutes or it might be 10 days long, but yep. it's going to cause a problem. So is this, is this comparable to what you're saying? That, that information is, like? is beyond ego. You know, it's you said operating early, operating, and I don't even realize. Operating, I don't even realize. Where is it? And I know this sounds, cra this may sound crazy, but but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. It's. Look, it's I'm my not. It's it's not. It's do. not right here, right now. So if it's not right here, right now, it's somewhere else. So Susie comes and tells you about her dream. Okay. Her dreams. Yep. And then what do you help? What okay. do you hope to help her glean from? That? I, I I would I would say let's look. Okay, I would instruct. Recommend, suggest with with a lot of you know like oh, this is kind of true that the dream doesn't speak 
in a rational language. The dream speaks in a symbolic language. A dream is a myth. We've been telling stories for thousands and we've been telling the same stories for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Where did those stories come from? Well, probably dreams. The earliest myths were so dense and rife in symbolism and we continued to do that, we continued to do that, we continued to do that. So that's how we look at the dream. The dream is a myth, the same way that Prometheus is a myth, the same way that, 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 that you Zeus, know, Zeus yeah. Hades, uh, Hypnos, Thanatos. So you These use are, it. Yes, and it's a you, myth. You would talk it's a to story. Susie in a way Your for dream her. is telling you a story. Let's look at that. About, About I have you always are. interpreted mythology sure be, i love sure. reading my kids stories about yes. mythology they eat yeah. up uh it, it's saint james they have a, um a the labyrinth, labyrinth. Yes. and i yes. can remember walking yeah. my oldest come son on. around there yeah so you know they all come from a place yeah. that i believe is intended to explain the human condition mm-hmm. in a very uh the collective unconscious is what the, you want a, to call a it. very uh, basic way mm-hmm. fear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. desire mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean just lust. I mean desire, period. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Be envisioning a way to have characteristics that will always be unachievable. Sure. Flight. Sure. Uh, trying to <laughs> make sense out of things yes. before there was science yes. or testable methods. Yes. So you will take Susie's dreams <laughs> and help her to apply them in a way that helps her make sense of those very basic human yeah. condition problems. Sure. Because Susie, you've never had this dream before. You've never had this dream before. I would even go as far as to say, hey Susie, let's 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 practice some suspension of disbelief for a moment. Or I would say, hey Susie, do you believe in God? And let's say she said, absolutely. And I, and I would say, Susie, why did God give you this dream? Last night, of all nights, why would God provide you with this information because it's it is it's just well, information this is a much Whether easier you like argument it or, to yeah. have with Susie when she believes in God because yeah. if she's a Christian then we can build on the nothing happens by yep, mistake yep, yep, everything yep. happens and if she, even reason. if she's not even if she's not a Christian I'll say come on come on come on you you saw uh, I heard uh, Robert Duvall say one time that every time he is preparing for a role, he turns himself over to an imaginary set of circumstances. Everybody knows how to do that. Yes. Everybody saw Empire Strikes Back and thought Yoda was was just amazing. They were scared of Darth Vader. So I want to get them in touch with that. It's like, Susie, I, I know you're a practicing atheist or whatever you are. But, but there is a part of you that connects to fantasy because, Susie, you have a favorite story. You have a favorite story. You have a favorite song. You have a favorite whatever that, that you feel at depth, right? So, Susie, I'm going to ask you to get in touch with that for a moment and just roll with me. Practice that suspension of disbelief because you have an imagination. It's part of that non-rational space. It's not ego. Ego is not imagination. Imagination is right there alongside spirit, psyche, in that numinous space. So Susie, roll with me for a second. Let's practice suspension of disbelief. Act as How if. How does that make Susie healthier? 
because Susie is faced with brand new information about who she is that we can tease out into a deeper understanding of who she is. It helps her everybody. Everybody a wants healthier definition of herself, of self, a more meaningful definition of self to be applied to the significant relationships in her life. What's better? What makes more sense than a slowly evolving, deeper understanding of who we are? Like that, like when it's all said and done, that's not impulsive. That's not too much. That's perfect. A slow, unfurling, deeper understanding of who we are. That's, that's, I think that's perfect. I think that's everything. That's good. A deeper kind of chipping away until we. This is life, man. Yeah. This is life. It happens. It, I mean, for it happens fast, but it also happens very, very slowly. Very, you know, it. Very slowly. Unfurls. Well, and it seems like it never ends. I mean, we're always. I mean, I've always got something to work with. Well, I've got I'm, something I'm to much talk older now than yeah. I was when I first began yeah. my yeah. journey of recovery and yeah. <clears throat> I mean I'm still improving yeah yeah and and I just think you know Susie I think it's pretty cool that that something's telling you a story something you, you you're not choosing the story something's telling you a story that's that's well, in, yeah that's I mean, crazy we're, we're very much <laughs> that's crazy uh, as much as we are benefactors we, we can be victims of our dreams absolutely we, and so it, you and have so it's absolutely in, no way to control it no all. way at all no way no way I mean yeah, yeah this lucid dreaming thing but but for the most part uh, yeah yeah I can't say I'll, I'm I'm about to dream about being stuck in a vending machine. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, but, no, exactly. But that's, you know, that's probably happened to somebody. They've probably had that dream. Uh, so I like to work. I, I, ideally, I work with that psychological unconscious and that body unconscious. Because Carl Jung said, the dream will never lie to you. And Bessel van der Kolk, the premier kind of trauma. What is that name? Bessel van. Uh, the body keeps the score. Most most people have heard. B e s e l. B e s s e l van der Kolk. He's Dutchman. Uh, he's got a, the body keeps the score. He said the body, the body will, the body will n- not lie to you. The body will give you the information that you need. The dream will give you the information that you need. So so we. I, in my private practice and in our uh, our uh, outpatient practice, we want to work with psych- psychological unconscious and body unconscious. We want to work with the body. We want to work with the psychology. Well, and we can wrap it up after this, <laughs> unless you're fatiguing. Hey, let's keep. Hey, man, I, I can do this all day. Okay, so. I have noticed that you have mentioned umpteen times now about uh, spiritual practices, God, Mm. uh, because we don't know each other. uh, So I've been to treatment a handful of times, and out of desperation, or maybe it was God's will, Mm. the last time I went to treatment was a faith-based treatment center. And how my road led there was, you know, lack of opportunities. 
you know, the first time you go to treatments, you go to uh, Copac and you go to Baptist mm-hmm. and you go to Palmetto and uh, the ranch. Yeah. And then yeah. at the end, you're at where the hell can I find somewhere to sleep? Yeah. And I didn't even know there was a faith based yeah. system of treatment yeah. center. Sure. Sure. And so, uh, as I was reflecting to my wife last night, the place that I went is hyper fundamentalist. Okay. Like when you're withdrawing from heroin, you were told you need the Holy Ghost, you don't need okay. medication. Okay. Uh, that kind of thing. Okay. The 12 steps are condemned there. Okay. You need Jesus. Okay. So I felt, I have always felt like I needed the, the strong magnet of that hyper fundamentalism mentalism okay. to pull me into a place where I could believe in the benefit of faith okay. as a, a larger institution. So how does a person go about? I mean, I have been a professed agnostic before. Mm. Uh, I don't know that I would be so bold as to say I was an atheist. No, I don't have the guts. So. Uh, because that takes, <laughs> you know, a, a bit of conviction that I think fails for a number of reasons. But mm-hmm. uh, what are the ways that a person can contend with their problems with God? their fear of the judgment of their childhood uh, religious life Mm. how can they benefit by and what is the nature of that benefit is it helping us construct a a moral scaffolding for our life you were talking about the chipping away and exposing who we truly are or how we can live our most authentic lives Mm -hmm. what is how does what is uh, how does how does belief help us? How does because you can believe in whatever you want to believe in. You can believe in whatever you want to. Be- okay, so so if you're anything like me, when you got sober, you felt indoctrinated by this word powerlessness. Yes. You felt indoctrinated. I felt indoctrinated. I was like shit. I don't control it. Well, that's kind of scary, but okay, I'll roll with it. I think it's a hopeless feeling. It, it, well, it, Until you realize that you're not powerless well, over what you do. Here's where I'm going with that. Like, I eventually discovered three things. I can only find three things that I am absolutely not powerless over. And those three things have guided me Come on, I'm, 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 okay. I'm here. Okay. I'm here. So I was indoctrinated in powerlessness, which is like shit. I'm screwed. We're just gonna keep coming back. <laughs> uh, first thing that I found that I have complete and total authority and control. I'll use that word. That's a. It's almost a four-letter word. That's a. That's a. That's a tough word. I, that word. I feel that word throughout. My whole body control. I can control. I, I get to choose what to do with my thoughts. I don't I don't always get to choose what to think about that because thoughts just occur. but 100% of the time, I get to choose what to do with my thoughts. I control that. right? Mm-hmm. Second thing. 
that I have 100% control over, I get to believe in whatever I want to believe in. Now, maybe I need to be careful there, but I still, I have complete and total control over that. And I get to treat people however I choose to treat them. Everything else is, wow, it's out there, man. No control over. Complete and total powerless over everything except... How I treat people, how I respond to my thoughts. No, I choose what to do with my thoughts. I get to choose what to do with my thoughts. I get to choose 100% of the time. I get to believe in whatever I want to believe in. And I get to treat you right now however I choose to do so. That's it. I can't, and I've tried. I've read hundreds and hundreds of books about whatever, fiction, nonfiction, and, and, that's, and that's what I found. So this thing about belief, this thing about constructing a way of life that is good, right? Using the word good in the most profound way, that is just good, inarguably good. Um, I'll just tell you what I do. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a daily practice of meditation. 30 minutes. 30 minutes of meditation a day. You listen to a Tibetan no, bowl? God, no, what? I sit there and I am with this. <laughs> As an aside, I should say for the man or woman out there, if you can't do 30 minutes, do three. Oh, do one. Do, do no, one. no, 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 no. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm like, yeah, don't do 30. Don't, that, yeah. That, that's, that's well, I mean, that, 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 that was, you know, that's, that's over here. Like when I started. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm just telling you, telling yeah, you what I, what I do. What do you, what do you do uh, every day? I, 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 30 minutes of meditation. I run six days a week. Um, I get, I put myself in cold water very cold water, three or four days a week. Uh, I put myself in the sauna. A friend of mine did a documentary of Wim Hof, by the way. Oh, brother, yeah. brother Wim Hof, that's, yeah. a, that's a good dude. That's a good dude, he's a neat guy. Um, I move my body. Uh, running has become you know, a form of meditation for me. Running is the only thing that I've found, and I tried to find this in meditation, uh, like sitting still meditation, but running is the only thing that just washes my thoughts. It's like a dishwasher for my thoughts. So the runs, like start out, I think about all this stuff, I think about all this stuff, and they go, the thoughts go where they're supposed to go, and then... I shouldn't be running. surprised that you're into the ice bath thing, given your, your you seem to have a, a natural bent towards this mind-body connection that's that's and 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 with the program with with the lighthouse healing center we we have a a very expensive ice machine yeah (laughs) and we put all that ice a bunch of that ice and water and people get in it and they they change a couple weeks ago because i have a buddy from hattiesburg that's big into the ice bath he's not it's not for recovery purposes but just more of the the natural healing thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean there there's absolute benefit to it yeah Earlier, I mentioned that post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, eating disorder, for example, the individual does not have a good relationship with his or her body, or they have no relationship with his or her body. Let me tell you right now, the, the practicing that ice bath 
you will indeed not only have a relationship with your body, but you will, you will trust your body because your body does precisely what it's supposed to do when you get in that cold water. <coughs> it's cold. It's cold. But, but back to the, uh, the question you, you, you have. Belief, faith. The belief, and, uh, faith. I mean, I, there was an interview with Cormac McCarthy, maybe 2000. Of there all, aren't many of them. It well, had to be the one with uh, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey inter- interviewed interviewed Cormac McCarthy, and she asked him if he believed in God. And he looked at her and said, "It depends on which day of the week you ask me." Look, I could talk about Cormac McCarthy forever. Oh, me too. Yeah. The, uh, for those curious, Drew does have a favorite book of all time. Sutry. It, it is Blood Meridian. Blood, oh yeah, I read it uh, five times. It is. Yeah. Uh, oh God. There, there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. Uh, and to buttress that argument, you know, Harold Bloom from Yale oh, yeah. says the great the 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 greatest living author is Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. He's got two novels coming out. I know. I'm super episode. excited. Yeah. Yeah. He's supposed to have a woman in one of them. Yeah. Stella Maris, finally. Right. Yeah. So, so, so faith. I mean, that, that, I mean, depends on which day of the week you ask me. God depends on which day of the week you ask me. But yeah, something, something, something's happening, man. Something's happening. Something's happening. And it's and it's very interesting. It is. It, there's there's too much benefit mm. to be had. Um, I mean, I, I've I love or loved Christopher Hitchens. And, mm-hmm. You know, he's a yeah. pretty biting like was, Martin Amos. Uh, like yeah, exactly. Rebecca a pretty biting Hitch. atheist, and yeah. uh, I don't know. There's, I think that Christopher Hitchens l- largely had a problem with with organized religion. Sure, sure. As opposed to the benefit mm. that one can glean yeah. from. Thinking about yeah. things in a, a more corny sure. uh, cornball corn to say a more spiritual manner, but it works. Uh, I mean, I think that's the it. The word fits. And I think that one thing that I've learned is never to stop looking mm-hmm. for new things to learn. I love it. I mean, I may focus the majority of my day based around Christian principles. But I promise you, if I read something beneficial in the Bible, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in there. I'm putting, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm putting it. That's I mean, that's I, what the, I, I, shoot, I pick from everything and just if it, know, belief is a patchwork quilt, and so is recovery for that matter. There you go, there you go, there you go. So yeah, that 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 that's a beautiful question, and it. How do you, st- Susie's, Susie just came to you yesterday, and she, mm-hmm. last night was her first night in IOP, oh, and you want to help Susie grow her faith practice. Mm-hmm. What do you, what, what's, where's, your, where's your go-to step one, or step point two five? Wow, faith practice, that, that's one of those words that I, that's a, that's oh, a any, believe, whatever you want to yeah. call it. How do you help, so, uh, better stated, what is Step one mm-hmm. for Susie to grow a, long a spiritual, spiritual practice, a spiritual life, a spiritual belief system, anything. That is such a good question. That is such a good question. You gonna tell her, look, go down to uh, Lemuria and get the Tao of Pooh? Or are you gonna tell her, uh, 
I would okay. Just okay. breathe five I times. would I would I would invite her to I'd say Susie, I want you to try something. I want you to sit completely still. I want to invite you to sit. And I would invite her to do it right then and there. I would say, Susie, sit. Let's sit completely still for 30 seconds. Let's not move. Let's not talk. Just sit completely still and experience that. That's where I'd start. Uh, and I would hope that in doing that, she would feel safe. And if, if we're going with the, the story we concocted for Susie, she hadn't felt safe ever. I would hope that Susie felt safe in stillness, even for a half a second. You know, because it might freak her out at first because, you know, she's one with all the fears and thoughts and like, oh my God, if I sit still, I'm going to explode. But maybe, just maybe, there would be a microsecond where she felt safe. You know, I have, uh, since we've spoken about Lemuria so mm -hmm. many times, I had, I don't have a, a origin story mm -hmm. that is born out of abuse or neglect know. of any kind. Yeah, I don't and the very first time I saw Brian O'Shea oh, I love Brian. post My on dear friend. Facebook that he said, I went for a walk today, felt good. I love it. Felt safe. Love it. And I thought he does say that. That is a cool a walk a good beautiful walk. I on would this not cool have morning. even thought yeah. about that. And I wonder how many times I have reacted poorly to something mm. because I did not feel safe. There you go. In there some fashion. There you go. There you go. So I so Susie he, would benefit from that thirty seconds. Absolutely. And I benefited, Brian. If you ever listen to this, I love you, man. You're I love you guy. too, Brian. I love Sweet you too, man. I love you so much, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Safety, and and that's where the, you know, this body, spirit, whatever you want to call it, soul, psychology, yeah, psychology, the study of the soul. Psychopathology, Psycho. an expression of the suffering of the soul. I mean, we, we, so soul's there, whether you like it or not, folks, even in the Word. Um, that's all. What is that? What is a deeper understanding meant for? To feel safe in your body. To feel safe in your mind. Just to feel, to feel safe. And to, and Thich Nhat Hanh, like, really nailed me with this one. Because I used to pray for peace, for example, until I read Thich Nhat Hanh say, if you want peace, be peaceful. Be, peace, yeah. be peaceful. Be peaceful. So I was like, okay, what does that mean for me? Oh, that means I can walk slowly. That means I can speak gently. That means I can come back to the breath whenever I choose to. Whenever I choose. So these days, if I want peace, I'm going to be peaceful. Thich Nhat Hanh is kind of, that's PhD level. Oh, that's, that's as good as Look, that. I tried to read Eckhart Tolle's book one time, mm -hmm. or one of, and I thought, I legit 
don't understand a single thing he just said. Ah, but read Thich Nhat Hanh, you understand what he says. I think, I think it's it's simplistic. It's simplified. It's 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 such beautiful, simple practice. Yeah, that's why it spoke to me so much. I studied Western philosophy as an undergrad, so I, that's you know Western philosophy is nothing but ideas, great ideas. You know, you get into that Eastern stuff, and it's about practices. It's about demystifying ideas into, sit, hey, Susie, let's let's sit still. Well, I think that, it, I like that you said that about the, because there is a component of, like, the fundamentalist system that I went to into, stands in contrast to the idea of you know faith without works is dead okay. you know that everything that, that you can legitimately ask for it mm-hmm. and it just you know the Holy Spirit delivers sure. it sure and uh, as opposed to this idea that I need to work towards something mm. um, one of my favorite you know who's that uh, Father Martin has those uh, chalk talk videos. Oh, okay. You don't know him? Mm-mm. He's on YouTube. Okay. Been around for a million years. He's a Catholic priest. Mm. And one of my favorite things he talks about is how God absolutely, if you have a toothache, God absolutely wants you to pray to him for help and healing with that toothache. But only if you're on the way to the dentist. Yeah, there you go. And <laughs> I have always yeah. thought... Yeah. You know, that yeah. there is some benefit yeah. to the putting the work in yeah. and the practice. That's of, what I love the word practice. what I was just thinking. The, the word practice is, that's, that's, that's a good word. That's a good word. Yeah. Ideas are wonderful. But these days I try to put ideas into practice. And I try to encourage people that, you know, you can really demystify an idea by putting it into practice and sit still or go for a run, or get in an ice bath, whatever, and then something's going to happen. There'll be a deeper understanding of who you are. And, and well, sometimes if you're exercising regularly, yep. and being aware of these things, yep. and thinking about these things, and giving some effort towards improvement, it's hard to believe that you would not realize that improvement. Sure. I mean, it, it's a recipe for nothing but like new stuff. Big new stuff. You know, Deeper understanding yeah, of who you know, are. You know, we all get stuck in wanting to know the these absolutes. Like, mm. you know, if I do blah, blah, and blah, am I going to be happy? Or am I going to be safe? Mm. And it's hard to answer, but we can certainly say, well, the people that are safe generally all do these things. That's right. People who are safe and healthy generally attribute some of that to spiritual practice through physical practice through working on good relational skills uh you know the diet thing that i'm not touching that because i'm not good Look, at that i like my heavy cream and i like my carbohydrates yeah, i like pizza yeah but but yeah i mean these these healthy people Look at what they do. It's not, it's nothing, it's not crazy. It's not, it's, it's and it's not it's unachievable. It's not unachievable. It's not beyond your reach. No, not at all. It's, it's totally doable. 
Well, listen, man, this has been an infinitely interesting conversation. Okay, yeah. Uh, but we are running. Okay. We're leaning okay. towards the long. We're leaning towards so, the long. Look, okay. I absolutely love you. Oh, my God. appreciate you for coming Thank you. here. Goodness gracious. You, you are a new and worthy and awesome friend of the oh, podcast. Thank, thank and you. Me thank you. Thank you. First. Let me get my. Yes. Cheers. Lime, mint, elderflower, mineral water. Can't beat it. It's better than Jack Daniels and your coffee, isn't, isn't it? it? <laughs> All right, man. Let me turn this thing.